0: Chapter 9 of Divers Women by Pansy and Mrs. C. M. Livingston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. How a Woman Was Converted to Missions. The poor women and girls are so taken up with cleaning their houses and dishes, and preparing their daily meals, that they will not give themselves up to thinking in the least. So writes Miss Blunt concerning the women of India. It was something of the same sort that prevented Mrs. John Williams from giving herself up to thinking, or from thinking about anything but her own private affairs. Not that Mrs. Williams gave herself up to scrubbing doors and windows and cleaning pots and pans with her own hands, but she was taken up all the same. When Christ was a babe on earth there was no room for him in the inn, so to-day many a heart is so full that christ and his cause are turned out if a heart is full how can it hold more do not suppose that there was no thinking done by mrs williams she superintended all her work and did much of her own sewing as her family was not small and her income not large, and she kept but one servant, it took a vast deal of thinking and worrying to keep the Williams family up to the standard, which was one not of neatness and comfort simply, but that she should live in the same style as those of her friends whose incomes were possibly twice as large as her own, that her children's clothes should be just as fine and as fashionably made as theirs, that she herself should be able to make as good an appearance as the best when she went into society, that her parlour should be furnished as far as in her lay, with all the elegance and taste that the law of the fashionable world required. This was the grand aim to which she bent all her energies. Mrs. Williams was a member in good and regular standing of an orthodox church, she regularly occupied her pew in the sanctuary, and when she had no other engagement attended the weekly prayer-meeting, but the most persistent and zealous member of the ladies' foreign missionary society had never succeeded in inducing her to attend their monthly meetings but just once. She took pains to explain it carefully to her conscience that she believed in foreign missions, but that didn't prove that it was necessary for her to spend a whole afternoon each month hearing dry reports and papers about countries with outlandish names. What good did that do anyway? It was mysterious how ladies could do justice to their families and spend so much time out. As for herself, she could scarcely keep up with her calls. But then they neglected their families, of course they did— women that were always on a committee for something or other, and running off here and there to all kinds of meetings. Very likely, too, it just suited some women to get up on a platform before an audience and read a paper or report. It was just a little leaning to women's rights. She believed in a woman keeping in her own sphere, and for her part she craved no such notoriety." She had always noticed, too, that the women who gave themselves up to those things seemed to lose all regard for their appearance. Now it really was a duty one owed to their friends to dress well, and some of those missionary women were wearing their last year's bonnets, and dresses of the styles of three or four years back, perfect frights. She did not see the need of women having a society by themselves either. Probably they raised just as much money before the ladies got to making such a fuss about it, it all came out of their husbands' pockets anyway. Her husband always had contributed to foreign missions, and always would probably. It's true, he did, a dollar a year. And was not that just as well as for her to be bothering her head about it? "'There,' said Mrs. Williams, one bright afternoon in April, as she glanced from her window there comes that mrs brown i know what she's after she wants me to go to that stupid missionary meeting i suppose this is the afternoon for it i promised her i would go again some time sorry i did too it's just as much sense as some persons have think that one can drop everything and go to a missionary meeting in the spring of the year too when there is so much sewing to be done and she hastily instructed Bridget to tell Mrs. Brown that she was engaged. So Mrs. Brown went on her way to the meeting, and sat in heavenly places, and had her heart stirred with new love and zeal, while Mrs. Williams sat at home and worked diligently on a dress for her young daughter, an elaborate dress of frills and lace and embroidery, and many weary stitches. At the close of the day she congratulated herself that she had accomplished a fine afternoon's work. There were whole seas of sewing to be waded through, Mrs. Williams said, before she could have any spare afternoons. There was the dressmaking, all her own dresses to be remodelled after the present style, besides new ones, when Mrs. Williams had a dressmaker in the house, to use her own words, she almost worked herself to death, then there was all the other sewing. It really was appalling to think of the amount of ruffling and tucking and side-pleating and puffing that must be gone through, before the summer wardrobes of herself and her little daughters would be completed. There was the house-cleaning, the smallest detail of which required her personal supervision, for Mrs. Williams was elaborate throughout, all her housekeeping was squared up to certain fine lines. If she ever had a morsel of time from these things, stern necessity compelled her to spend it in fancy work, for tidies and soft pillows and bracket covers and stand covers and mats were indispensable. When Mrs. Williams was asked to subscribe for Woman's Work for Woman, she assured them that she knew already all about Woman's Work that she desired to. It was done at last the spring sewing and the house-cleaning, and the summer heats had come. The day was warm, and Mrs. Williams, in a cool white wrapper, had established herself on the parlour sofa with a book. She had neglected to tell Bridget that she was not at home, and just as she was in the most absorbing part of one of George Eliot's absorbing novels, a caller was ushered in. "'Mrs. Brown, that missionary woman again!' was ever anyone so persecuted before here she had just come to a breathing spell where she had hoped to take a little rest in comfort and now she must be annoyed to go was out of the question it was too hot and besides she did not in the least feel like going to a meeting of any sort she wanted to finish her book so she told mrs brown that she was very much worn out with overexertion and the day was so warm that she would not venture out. She should probably fall asleep in the meeting if she went. It seemed that even when there came a time that work did not fill Mrs. Williams's heart, Satan was on the alert to preempt it, and to keep her from all Christian activity. How he must rejoice at each new width he fastens over the heart he covets! Here was a large-hearted, energetic, skilful woman, thoroughly consecrated— she would be a power for christ mrs williams was not a hard-hearted woman but she found no time to listen to the sorrowful story of those who knew not god she knew very little of it at all and like her heathen sisters was so taken up that she could not give herself to thinking when the rage for decorating and the mania for pottery seized the female mind, it began to dawn across Mrs. Williams' perceptions that all her belongings were exceedingly plain, that she positively needed, and must have, two large vases for the parlour at least. She lay awake thinking about it a good part of the night. Something must be done. The expensive imported ware was out of the question, beyond the limits of her purse at present. Mrs. Williams was a woman of resources, who seldom failed to rise to the necessity of the occasion, and from her inner consciousness she evolved a perfectly delightful plan. When a young girl at school she had taken lessons in oil colours, and possessed not a little artistic ability. Why not manufacture her own pottery and decorate her own china?" That was a most inspiring idea. She could hardly wait for morning to appear, so eager was she to put her plans into execution. She would go into the city, get a few instructions and some materials, then we shall see what we shall see. The next day was a harbinger for a hot day, but what of that? What would not one undergo when pottery was in question? So she spent the sultry summer days examining all the different styles of vases, with the same eager minuteness that an amateur milliner studies hats on opening day. Her vases should be precisely like that elegant pair of Copenhagen ware that cost fifty dollars. Then this ambitious, energetic, deluded woman went home, and proceeded to shut herself in her room, and dabbled in paint from morning till night. Her enthusiasm arose to such a pitch that she neglected her sewing and her calls, and after she had produced a really creditable pair of vases she was stimulated to go on. She painted lovely little bouquets on her tea-set, and decorated everything in the house from china to coal-scuttle. About this time Mrs. Williams received an invitation to a party, not an unusual thing, but this was a very select affair the very highest stratum of society. She was holding a council with herself, and doing some very close thinking on the all-important subject of her wardrobe, and she came to the usual feminine conclusion that positively she had nothing to wear, when she was interrupted by a call from the collectors of the missionary society, the faithful punctual collectors, whose visits were as sure as the sun and the dews. Mrs. Williams had decided that self-defence required her to become a member of that society, afford it she must in some way. Her bills for the pottery had amounted to a considerable sum, home industry notwithstanding, and the fact stared her in the face that she must have a new silk for that party, but it was plain she had dodged those collectors just as long as she could what a relief it was to learn that only ten cents a month constituted one a member of the society she answered quite graciously that she should be most happy to throw in her mite if mrs williams could have had a peep into the collectors books and have seen that mrs a and mrs b subscribed fifty cents a month and that Mrs. C. and D. subscribed one dollar a month, and others whom she copied and followed were even benevolent to the amount of two or three dollars a month, then Mrs. Williams would have compassed sea and land to procure the money, before she would have allowed her name to be among theirs with that small amount set after it. She suggested that she pay the whole sum at once. What was the use of troubling them to call every month?" and when they said they preferred to have it in monthly payments, she thought within herself, "'Now that is just like women. They have no business capacity, most of them, travelling up and down, wasting their time, making twelve trips for what they might accomplish in one.' Which hasty censure upon her own sex was only another proof that she had not given herself up to thinking, certainly not on the philosophy of giving." having disposed of the collectors mrs williams sallied forth on a shopping expedition in high spirits at having come off so easily and yet a placid feeling in her conscience that now she had contributed to foreign missions she spent the morning in weighing the merits of this piece of silk and that and finally purchased a dress rich and costly and some soft filmy laces of marvellous beauty at a marvellous price if her poor weak conscience made a protest, it was silenced by, I must have it. Who shall say that the heathen are all in Africa or China or the islands of the sea? And so the busy days went on, dressmaking, house cleaning, calling, canning, pickling, parties, pottery and fancy work, time for it all. How could one think much about such faraway interests, as heathen women, when her hands and heart were so full. Sometimes we call such, Martha's, and make light of the fact that we have loaded ourselves down with such heavy burdens, and take comfort in the thought that one of the women whom Jesus loved was in the same condemnation. But we forget that her anxious housewifely cares were for Jesus. Dare we say as much for ours?' One morning Mrs. Williams was not bustling about with her usual activity. She sat in her own room with a grave troubled face. She was in deep thought, and it was not some scheme for adding to her wardrobe or the furnishings of her house that formed the subject of her meditations. Perhaps the days are not past when the Lord speaks to a soul, in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon men." Mrs. Williams was not a nervous woman, full of strange fancies, and her dreams heretofore had been passed by as idle fantasies of the brain, but the remarkable and solemn one of the previous night could not be so dismissed, and like one of old her spirit was troubled. In her dream the day had come for her to die, and leave her busy work for evermore. She could recall it all most vividly, the flash of surprise, the anguish, the feeling that she was not ready, the swift searching of her heart to find her hope, the feeble despairing cry, "Oh Christ, forgive me! The weeping friends, not heeded in the all-absorbing thoughts, What is this? Where am I going? Then the sinking away, the last gasp, and eternity opened. In the distance there dawned upon her vision the glory of the city, the golden gates, the crowns, the harps, the white-robed throng, the beautiful music thrilling her soul. As she tremblingly approached the gate, her heart gave a bound, for that kingly one could be no other than Christ the Lord, the one she loved years ago before the world got hold of her. Surely he would recognize her, but when she timidly ventured near and spoke his name, there was no smile of welcome, no, come ye blessed. The look was cold, the face averted. In tears and agony she begged an angel to open the gates and let her in. When he asked her whence she came, and by what right she hoped to enter, she murmured out that she belonged to Christ's church when she was on earth. Then he bade her come with him. He lifted a veil and said, look. There were rooms filled with beauty opening into each other and stretching off into the distance. There was rich furniture. Carpets of softest velvet covered the floors. Mirrors and paintings filled the walls. There were exquisite vases of delicate tints and graceful forms, finest statuary, innumerable and endless articles of ornamentation— and, lying about in rich profusion, were costly silks and glittering satins and rare laces, jewellery flashed out here and there, diamonds and pearls, and all precious gems in beautiful settings, novels in costly binding, food delicate and tempting in abundance and variety. It was for such as these, the sad voice of the angel said, that you bartered your soul, these are the things you coveted and toiled for in your earth life. How perfectly empty and unsatisfying it all looked to her now, with that glorious city in full view, and the shining ones gathered about their king, their hallelujahs rising in grand chorus, to him who loved them and washed them in his blood. In deep distress she begged to be allowed to go in where the Saviour was. Then the angel lifted another veil there were the dark places of the earth spread out before her millions upon millions of human beings bowing before idols little children cast into cruel flames and women sad wretched women a whole world full of them besides those there were the poor degraded ignorant ones of her own city did you ever read in your bible said the angel inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these ye did it not to me?' Deep horror seized upon her, for memory brought before her, as in letters of fire, that other word in her own Bible, that awful word, Depart. Mrs. Williams needed no Daniel to interpret her dream. Unlike the one of the King of Babylon, it brought her in brokenness of spirit to the feet of her Saviour, and he who said, a NEW HEART WILL I GIVE YOU, AND A NEW SPIRIT WILL I PUT WITHIN YOU, WAS FAITHFUL TO HIS PROMISE. THE WOMAN, WHO LEFT HER ROOM AFTER HOURS OF HEART-SEARCHING AND CONFESSION BEFORE GOD, CAME OUT OF THAT ROOM WITH THE NEW SPIRIT, A CONSECRATED SOUL, HENCEFORTH TO BE OBEDIENT TO THE MASTER'S slightest WISH. THE WHOLE AIM OF HER LIFE WAS CHANGED, HER PURSUITS, HER STYLE OF LIVING. She found, too, ample time to do the Lord's work, and to look well to the ways of her household. And the Lord gave her much service for him, and the work was very sweet. Does he not wait to give to any of us who have been half-hearted, laggard Christians, this new spirit, this anointing, whenever we shall give our whole hearts to him? Then it shall be joy, not duty, then we shall say, My tongue, dear Lord, to speak for thee, my hands to minister to thee, my feet to run thine errands. End of chapter 9